how do you go about approaching Tim Cook at the gym? And then he walked in the first time. You're like, I think that's no, Tim Cook. I mean, the, no. <laughs> I, surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. It's like my advice for anyone at any stage of life. It's like who you surround yourself with is where you're going to head in mm -hmm. life. What led to the being on the floor with a panic attack? What, what led to that point? There's this tendency to think that every idea you have to come up with is like the new Facebook or the new Instagram yeah. or the new Snapchat, like some crazy new idea that no one's thought of and so innovative and different. And like, that's mostly bullshit. Welcome back to the Next Up Podcast. I'm Adam Brenneman. We're in New York City, Midtown Manhattan today, talking to Sahil Bloom, the former Division One Stanford pitcher turned famous content creator, private equity venture capitalist, motivational speaker. Everyone knows this guy on social media. He's made a huge impact on society and excited to have him on the podcast today. Talking about all things content creation, frameworks for life, what athletes can do with content creation and on their NIL. Before we get to the podcast, please subscribe to this channel if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, subscribe to the channels there. All your guys' support allows me to travel around the country and have the best guests in the nation on the podcast. So subscribe below. Let's go to the podcast. Next up. Before we get to the podcast, I got to tell you guys about the presenting sponsor for today's episode, Athletic Greens. Listen, I've been super picky about who we allow to sponsor this pod because I want to promote things I actually use. And when Athletic Greens reached out, I was fired up. I literally use Athletic Greens every single day. The reason I use it every day is because it's just one scoop and I get all the vitamins and minerals I need. 75 plus nutrients, vitamins, minerals, a bunch of other stuff that I don't even know what it is, but it's great for you. Since I started taking Athletic Greens daily, I feel better. My energy is better. My digestion is better. And as a guy who travels a ton, it's hard to get my vitamins and minerals in. With Athletic Greens, it's as easy as one scoop a day. As I've gotten farther away from my playing career, I now take my health more seriously and Athletic Greens has been a game changer for me. So if you want to take control of your health, try Athletic Greens AG1 today and get five free travel packs and a one-year supply of vitamin D free when you use my link, drinkag1.com slash nextup. Again, that's one-year supply of vitamin D free and then five free travel packs when you use my link, drinkag1.com slash nextup. And guys, supporting our sponsors supports me and allows me to do this podcast as consistently and at a high level like we have been for all of you. So please go purchase some AG1 at drinkag1.com slash nextup. Well, I appreciate you doing this, man. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. I know. I feel like we've been going back and forth for a while, so I'm glad we finally met. No, you're, I you're, appreciate you coming up to my neck of the yeah, woods. So. Yeah, you're busy, man. I, I saw your – the first time I saw a podcast you were on was the Ice Coffee Hour. Oh, yeah. And I watched that whole one, and that was when I, I messaged you on Twitter, and I yeah. was watching that. Those guys are great. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't um, – I'm not, like, a big YouTube user. Yeah. So I knew Graham – just through the grapevine, like on Twitter, content creators, people like we'd become friends. Mm -hmm. But I never realized just how big he was on YouTube that yeah. he had as big of a following. And like the number of people that reached out after that one, it was like, it's clear that they have pretty crazy reach. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. I've, I followed you on Twitter for a while. I guess, you know, couldn't be that long because you started this really right. two years ago, right? <laughs> the, the fascinating part to me is how much your life has probably changed in the last two to three years yeah. than it was was before. Has it been... Has it been kind of surreal? I mean, you've you've become somewhat of a household name now but because of your following. You've built yeah. millions and millions of followers across social media. Has it been crazy to kind of live that life now? Uh, it's very different than what I was doing, man. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was very much in the sort of like quiet, 
safe, stable track yeah. of finance. Like you probably have friends yeah. from college that are, you know, have gone into the finance yeah. world My brother, or into consulting yeah. and like, it's, um, you know, it's very much an industry where you're encouraged to just like put your head down, you work yeah. hard for a long period of time and you make great money, you get, mm. you know, paid for it and you work a lot obviously, but that's kind of like the path. And it's not like, you don't go into that thinking you're going to ever, you know, have reach to impact tons of people. You yeah. go into it because you know you're going to make a good living and be able to take care of people. Um, and so it's been very different. I mean, I, I come from an athletic background, so like, I liked the idea when I was a kid of becoming a famous <laughs> athlete. Like, that was what I thought yeah. I was going to do with my life is, like, be a famous athlete. Yeah. And, you know, at some point, 99.99% of us realize that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, our, mine happened in college, at least. I realized, like, I got to Stanford, and uh, I remember going to my first practice. I was a pitcher. And like watching the other pitchers throw. And I remember just thinking like the ball gets to the plate a lot faster when those <laughs> guys throw it than when I do. Yeah. And so I had this like realization that I probably wasn't going to be a famous athlete. Um, so I don't know. Maybe this is my way of like reaching people on a grander scale yeah. than, uh, than I otherwise would. That's sweet. So when you were playing baseball at Stanford, did you have like a – entrepreneurial spirit back then did you did you think you know or were you like dead set i'm gonna play baseball and then go into pe and, and that that was my life yeah plan. Dude, i mean i didn't have i don't know what your experience is i i think that like entrepreneurship as a kid i have found is so driven by whether your parents are entrepreneurs yeah. my parents weren't really entrepreneurs my dad's an academic he was a professor at harvard and you know a tenured professor track at a you know at a higher education institution Very is different. about as like safe <laughs> and stable yeah. a track as you can have. You literally get a job and they cannot fire you once you're a tenured <laughs> professor. Um, and that was kind of what I grew up around. So I always thought, you know, I come from like, my mom is Indian, my dad's an academic, he's yeah. a professor. So both sides, it was like the, sa the stable, safe track was what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So I never, I mean, I never thought of like starting businesses. When I was a kid, I was screwing around playing baseball. Like yeah. I wasn't I have all these friends who are entrepreneurs now that are like, yeah, I started this business when I was 12 and I did this when I was 14. <laughs> candy, and I'm yeah. like, I was fucking around. I don't know what I was doing, but it wasn't that. I was yeah. chasing girls. Like I was doing dumb shit, yeah. like just any kid. And uh, it's funny to me now that I'm, you know, quote unquote entrepreneur and doing these things because I had no, I mean, I still have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's kind of the fun of it for me is like, it's sort of similar to being an athlete. Like you're putting yourself out of your depths and you feel very uncomfortable constantly doing it. And that's where you realize you're like actually performing the best. Yeah. So I, um, no, I mean, at Stanford, like I studied economics. I thought, I thought I'd go play professional baseball. And if that didn't work out, I figured I would like go work in consulting or go work <laughs> yeah, in yeah. finance or go, you know, go yeah. get a job that sounded successful. Yeah. So tell me more about your baseball career. You said, uh, you said you realized when you got to Stanford that yeah. you weren't as good as everybody else. Yeah. Did, did that, did that sting at all when you got there and you realized that you weren't going to be a, a first-round draft pick? Yeah. I mean, in high school, I was, like, very much the big fish in a small pond. So I yeah. grew up in a small town outside Boston. You know, the Northeast isn't, like, a baseball mm -hmm. area. It's all yeah. south or, or the West Coast. Um, so I stuck out. Like, you know, I could throw pretty hard in high school. Mm -hmm. I was probably throwing, like, around 90 or You're so. You righty? I was a righty. Yeah. <clears throat> and at the time, 90 was actually really hard. Now 90 yeah. is, like, a joke. Yeah. And these guys are all throwing <laughs> 110, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. But at the time, that was pretty hard. And so I thought I was the man. Like, yeah. I was, you know, big puffed-up chest, walking around <laughs> like I was hot shit. And I got to Stanford, and that was, like, my, you know, getting punched in the face moment, academically mm -hmm. and athletically. Like, I had skated by academically yeah. – 
at my public school, just like do whatever to just, I, you know, you don't have to get the top, top grades to yeah. get into the place because you're getting supported by your sports. And, um, you know, I went to the classes and I realized I was like kind of the dumb one in class. And I went to <laughs> the baseball field and I definitely couldn't throw as hard as the other guys and they were much better than me. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's like an important lesson that I learned. And it came as a freshman, which was good because otherwise I would have been walking around thinking I was hot shit for mm. much longer. And yeah. I just think in life in general, you need to get punched in the face, metaphorically or yeah. literally. And um, for me, I really needed it at the time because it hadn't happened to me growing yeah. up. Like I had done well in school. I had done well in baseball. And so there hadn't been that moment. It's like, uh, I think Mike Tyson said it. He's like, everyone has a plan until they get punched punch in the mouth. The yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's so true. You're like, yeah. you go in, you're like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, 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 then I'm going to get this job and I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then like something comes and just clocks you. Mm -hmm. And it's how you actually react to that yeah. that makes the difference. So um, I remember it being like tough mentally my freshman year, just adjusting to not, you know, it's identity. And we could talk about it more, but like sports, the biggest challenge that every athlete faces at some point in their life is having to change their identity from being one that was surrounded yeah. by that sport to being something else. Mm -hmm. And I have seen teammates and brothers that I love go through some of the hardest times in their life. And I've had a few teammates who haven't made it through uh, because that shift in identity is so, so challenging. Yeah. You've spent your whole life defining yourself in a single way around this sport. And then suddenly it's taken away from you one mm -hmm. way or another. And you don't know. And when you lose your identity, you are completely lost. Like the entire version of you, you don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a terrifying, terrifying thing. Yeah. What do you think it was about your mindset that allowed you to not get caught in that rut that so many people get caught in when they lose the sport that, yeah. that they love? Identity diversification. <laughs> do you know that term? I think I first heard this from Tim Ferriss. Okay. Um, basically, like with a portfolio, mm -hmm. you're investing – you yeah. don't want to be all invested in a single stock, yeah, like in stock. Apple. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't want, maybe that's yeah. okay because Apple has done really well, but <laughs> yeah. you don't really want to do that because uh -huh. it's a little scary if the company uh -huh. goes down. Exact same concept applies to identity. You know, you don't want to be entirely tied up with your identity in a single thing mm -hmm. because inevitably one thing can get taken away from you. Yeah. And if it's like you tie your entire life to being an athlete or if it's you tie your entire life to being a high performing, you know, career person mm -hmm. or to being a dad, like things happen yeah. and life hits you. And so having diversification around how you think of yourself and what that identity is, is really important. And I think I just realized that as a freshman in college, I think I realized yeah. like, oh my God, baseball might not be it for me. Academics might not be it for me, but if I can be well-rounded and if I can build a life that's built around all of these different mm -hmm. things, um, I'll be insulated. Like I can roll with the punches on yeah. any one of them because I know I have these other things in my life. Um, so I think that's the mind. I think that's the mindset that a lot of more people need to adopt yeah. is like yeah. identity diversification. How do you think your parents impacted that kind of mindset? And, and you know, you're, I, I'm not, I don't know about your mom, but your dad, super successful yeah. Harvard professor. I've, I've even read his Wikipedia page. Like yeah, he's a yeah. well-known guy. Yeah. How, how do you think that just your childhood, like all it impacted your mindset? Um, my parents were unbelievably supportive. Mm. And like, as I think about being a parent now, I've got a one year old. All I really want to do is make sure that my son knows that he's supported in the things he does. Yeah. And no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's how I always felt. Like, I, I didn't think that my parents were going to just give me a bunch of money or something <laughs> or that they were going to like, you know, and we weren't rich. Like my, you know, my dad's a professor, like yeah. middle class, but 
I knew that no matter what I wanted to do, if I was excited about it, my parents would have my back and support me. And I knew that we had enough that I could fall on my face and be okay. Like I wasn't going to be starving. Mm-hmm. And that to me was just a really powerful thing um, to just know that your parents have your back in whatever yeah. it is. And my parents were big on like letting me fail. And to, yeah. if I were to thank them for one thing, it's for that. Like I think that parents that don't let their kids fail and they're there to like insulate Support the blow them. and yeah. like catch them <laughs> as soon as the thing happens, yeah. um, it's really dangerous because then you, I mean, you just you don't learn how to like take the pain, roll with it, bounce back from it, whatever it is. Um, so I think that that. That was probably the biggest thing with my parents was just that they were they were there to support me, but they weren't cushioning me from blows all along yeah, the way. Yeah. So let, let's talk about how you transitioned then from baseball into uh, your private equity job. Was did you know you wanted to do private equity towards your end of your baseball career? <laughs> no, I didn't yeah. know what private equity was, man. Yeah. I went to the interviews. This is actually like this is a pretty funny story. I yeah. went to the interviews for this firm, so I had. Um, you know, when baseball was going to be over and I knew that, I started interviewing for jobs. I was basically on the verge of taking a job uh, at McKinsey in New York. Yep. You know, great, great place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met this private equity fund in the Bay Area that was just starting to hire at the analyst level. And they had connections to Stanford Athletics. And so I knew it was this great group of people. They came really, um, you know, really highly recommended. And so I went in and I, I started meeting with them and interviewing. And I literally had no idea what private equity was. And so, like, they would ask me questions during the interviews. And I didn't know – I mean, I didn't know shit about accounting. Like, I, yeah. Stanford doesn't have a business degree, so I didn't do any of that. I had done economics. But, like, I went into this one interview, and they asked me what my weakness was. And I was like, well – I don't know any accounting. And that's like a very key <laughs> skill set if you're going into finance. And the guy looked at me like he he was expecting me to say like, oh, I'm too detail oriented yeah, yeah, or one of, the, one, yeah, one of the bullshit. Like I'm too, I'm too in the weeds. Like yeah. I grind too much. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when to stop. Like, you know, all the fake excuses people give. And I said that and he looked at me and then like looked down and then looked back at me. He was like, hmm, that's a real weakness. <laughs> <laughs> He's writing and it down. <laughs> my whole thing was like, look, I don't care anything I know now. Like if I, it was like October of my, of 20 of, of my last year of school. And I wasn't going to start until the following August. Yeah. I was like between now and then, like I'll learn whatever you need yeah. me to learn. That was just my mindset yeah. because it's the same as an, like it was the athlete mindset. I just knew mm-hmm. there wasn't going to be anyone that put in more effort to get up to speed on the yeah. thing. And so it didn't matter where I was then. I knew I would just figure it out. It was like, it's not rocket science. Like yeah. you're moving money around a board yeah. basically in, in finance. It wasn't like I had to go learn how to, you know, be an engineer at NASA. Yeah. It was just, it was what it was. <laughs> um, so I went into that interview process. I really didn't know anything. I was very fortunate because it was an amazing group of people and they took a shot on me yeah. and they embraced the fact that like, you know, athletes have certain skill sets that have been honed over 15, yeah. 20 years yeah. that are impossible to teach mm-hmm. if you haven't been in the trenches. Mm-hmm. I mean, being in the trenches with a group of teammates that you have to learn how to interact with, that you yeah. have to like grind through the mud with, just forges a certain mentality on life yeah. that like I would hire athletes all day yeah. if I were a company. Yeah. Because you just know there's a certain set of skills you know you're going to get with an athlete. Yeah. That is, re- I mean, it's really hard to find in other people. Yeah, and, and they're, all your teammates are from different walks of life, different diversities, oh, different. I mean, yeah, you, and you have to get income along. Income levels, you gotta get along. And different yeah. personality types. Like, you have to learn how to get along with people that are crazy type A yeah. overachievers and the like lazy dude that's super talented on the team yeah. that you know needs to show up for you in the game. And you need to know how to motivate both of those types of people. And if you're gonna be a leader on the team, yeah. you need to know how to bring everyone together and yeah. connect. And that, I mean, that's literally business. That yeah. is what business is at the end of the day. And so, 
Um, not to mention hard work, you know, resilience, mm-hmm. all the things that get forged from the long hours of practice and from banging your head into a wall when you're struggling. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we've all been there. And from mentally grinding through times when you just feel terrible and you have yeah. to figure out a way to win still, all of those things, that's literally business. Like, that's mm-hmm. what it takes to be successful. And yeah. so I sort of just figured making money is a skill like anything else. Like Figuring out how to make money yeah. is sort of a skill. And I'm just going to apply the same set of principles I've applied to baseball into my life to date into this new thing and see what happens. Yeah. Before we get back to the pod, I want to tell you guys about our new sponsor, the first sponsor of the Next Up podcast with Adam Brenneman, Manscaped. And the exclusive offer I've secured for all of you. Well, you have to check out the Performance Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 has everything you could ever need to keep you looking your best. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and even a travel bag to hold all your tools. Trust me, guys, you don't want to miss out on this bundle. So join over 8 million men worldwide who use Manscaped with an exclusive 20% off and free shipping on manscaped.com with code ADAMB, A-D-A-M-B. Put it in manscaped.com when you're checking out 20% off. That's a huge discount and free shipping on your order. So I need all of you to show them tons of support by supporting Manscaped and using that code Adam B. It's going to help me help us a ton, help us grow this podcast and keep getting great guests. So shout out Manscaped. Use the code Adam B at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. So you did PE for, what, six, seven years? Is that how long? And then... Yeah, I started um, summer 2014, and I was there full-time until summer 2021. Yeah, so seven years. Um, Things were going well? Yeah, I mean, things were going great. (laughs) It was like, uh, you know, I joined... It was an amazing time in the economy to be working (laughs) in private equity, right? Because, like, I mean, really from 2010 through, like, 2021 was like the glory years in private equity yeah. because the markets were ripping, yeah. rates were like zero. So you're, if you're doing leverage buyouts, yeah. you know, you're buying a company with a bunch of debt and yeah. a little bit of your cash. Yeah, and interest <laughs> rates are 2%. Yeah. That's an amazing business model because things are growing. So the yeah. companies are growing. You're using really cheap money to go buy it. I mean, it was like an incredible, incredible time. Um, so we were doing a lot of good stuff. We had raised more and more money. The group of people was incredible. Like I just had a blast being around. And it was very... Um, it was very collegial. Like there was a lot of people around when you're young, you're working really hard, but you're sort of in the trenches with other people. It felt a lot like that locker room camaraderie. Um, and so I had a great experience. I mean, for like three, four, five years, I really felt like I was drinking from a fire hose and that I needed to kind of like needed to have that as like the transition period away from Mm -hmm. feeling like I had the sport. There was just a lot of direction, a lot of like uh, a lot of structure. You know, yeah. I think one of the things that is lacking for athletes post-baseball or, yeah. sorry, yeah. post-football, whatever sport it is, um, is really the structure. structure. Yeah. Because in college, I mean, in college and professional sports, wake up. Yeah. Every, single time, every single day, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. Like, you have yeah. your workout for the day. You know you're going to practice. You know what classes you're going to. Yeah. You know what homework you have. Everything is sort of laid out for you. And then you get into the real world and, like, on a Saturday morning, no one's telling you what to do yeah. or on a, you know – day like no one's telling you exactly what you if you're working in sales like no one's telling you exactly what you need to do yeah um in private equity it was like you knew every single day there were like 800 emails you had to get through (laughs) and like a bunch of powerpoints and a bunch of excel model whatever it was like every single day there was structure to it i'm assuming that throughout that time in pa p especially as you got towards the later end of your time there you're making a lot of money real money and if you decided, if you would have stayed in that line of work for another 10 years, that's, you know, you're making, you're talking GPs of firms that are making what, you know, millions and millions of yeah, dollars yeah. a year. And the path to getting there is, is 
not easy, but it's you know it's, it's clear. It's clear. Yeah, like yeah. here's how I can go make yeah. ten million dollars or yeah. you know, if you're on the track, it's like pretty it's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. And you were on the track. Yeah. So then you decide that you're gonna completely get out of it, yeah. get into content creation. And I wanna get into that whole when was the first point where you were like, This is this may not be what I want to do the rest of my life. Yeah, I um I've never cared that much about money. Yeah. Um, just from the get-go. Like I you know, I didn't I never grew up being like super envious of money. I like I always felt like we had enough. Uh, you know, like I said, we were middle class. We we went on vacations. We mm-hmm. got to travel cool places because my dad would do work in you know other parts of the world for his research. And um, I just never I never felt like there was something missing in my life because of money. Yeah. And so even coming into it in private equity, the things that other people uh, found amazing and exciting about it. I just you never cared about like, you know, we'd be uh, at a dinner or something and people would be talking about how expensive the wine was. And I was like, yeah, wine's like, okay, I, I like <laughs> wine, like what wine's fine, but I can't tell the difference between, I still to this day, yeah. like, I can't tell the difference between a $30 bottle of wine and a $500 bottle of wine. Yeah. So to me, you know, I, I, my mom is from India. I grew up spending tons of time there. I've seen people on the streets starving, like mm-hmm. a, a very, very different side of the world. So to me, when you're bragging about drinking a five hundred dollar yeah. bottle of wine, I'm like embarrassed for you, <laughs> I, I, and I still really feel that way. I'm like, man, there are people in the world that yeah. don't have enough food to eat or water to drink. Lots of them, a billion people in the world live off a dollar a day, yeah. and we're gonna sit here and brag and like, what? Do, we didn't do anything to deserve this. We're moving <laughs> yeah. money around. It. Like, I happened to be born to a family that cared about education, so I was able to go to a good school, so I was able to get this job. Yeah. That's just luck, man. I worked pretty hard, but that's just luck. Yeah. And so to me, it was like. It was crazy that there were things in, in the world, you know, in finance and like consult in all these spaces that you start to think of as like the status symbols of success uh, that I just didn't care about. I was like, man, I don't, this isn't my measuring stick of what success looks like. And honestly, I don't knock anyone for having that be their measure. It's yeah. just, it's just different. I just didn't care. Yeah. And so I knew that all along the way, there was never going to be a point where I nerded out over the things that I needed to. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't care enough about money. And like yeah. in that career track, you need to want to make money. Like that has to be what drives you yeah. is like, I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to move this around. I'm going to make a hundred million dollars, whatever the mm-hmm. number is that needs to push you. Um, and that was never going to push me. Yeah. I always, I always just had like different things in mind for what I wanted to do. Um, so that, I mean, I would say from the get go, it was never going to be long-term. a long term yeah. thing for me. And I didn't realize that at first. But I, I did like the little cr- breadcrumbs of, yeah. oh, maybe my mind is working slightly different from how yeah. it needs to for me to do well in this track. Mm-hmm. Um, those were all there. And again, like I have nothing but great things to say about all the people I worked with, colleagues, everyone. Like I think they're amazing people. Um, I just think I had different things in mind for what I cared about and what my like definition of a successful yeah. and wealthy life was going to look like. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I've even talked to my brother about this who works in finance in New York about how a lot of times the older guys in that business who are like 50 years old who have made a ton of money, they're not even guys that you really look up to. They're like, they got like yeah. bad families. They're like yeah, out of shape. Oh, yeah. 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 Stress. It's like, man. is that what I want to be? When yeah, I'm exactly. You're like, that doesn't look like a prize that I really want at some point. Yeah. I also did find that like, I think that you can, um, you can play the same game as everyone else and achieve the like 80 or 90% success case. Mm-hmm. So like the people that I think, um, 
did like very well in private equity, really cared about money. Mm-hmm. The people that are like the ones you hear about and read about were playing a different game. Like they really just cared about the game. Like they, yeah. they fell in love with something other than the money at some point. Mm-hmm. Cause at some point it's yeah, just too much. You yeah. already have too much. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I think like to achieve the 0.1% outcome, yeah. you need to just like love the game and be in it. Yeah. Um, I think you can love money to like drive intensity to be very good, mm-hmm. but to, I mean, it's in any field to perform at that like top, top level, you have to fall in love with the process in a completely different yeah. way than anyone else. What was the number one thing you learned from your baseball career that helped you when you were starting off in, in private equity? That's a good question. Um, I think it was just the like rent is due daily concept, which I still think about in my life every single day. Um, I just knew from the very day I started, I was like, I'm not going to be the smartest person here. I'm not going to be the best at Excel models or PowerPoints. I'm probably not going to be the best at any one thing, but I know that I'm going to show up every single day. Mm -hmm. And it's not always going to be pretty and I'm going to screw things up, but literally I'm just going to be there over and over and over again. And for me in baseball, that's how I had to be because I wasn't that talented. Mm-hmm. I was I was a right-handed pitcher. I was okay. I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't going to blow anyone away. Yeah. But what I knew was that, like, if I just keep throwing strikes, mm-hmm. you're not going to get hits over and over and over. Like, it's just not going to – it's just <laughs> unlikely. There's enough fielders yeah. out there. Like, things are going to happen that are going to go my way. And so I'm just going to keep coming at you. And if you hit a home run, I'm going to just come at the next guy and yeah. whatever it is. Um, and I applied that exact same principle to how I thought about mm-hmm. the workforce and it, it just works. Like, yeah. it, you know, now it's trendy to say hard work is overrated. That's bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. early in your career, working hard is a tried and true way to stand out. Yeah. And working hard the right way, for sure. Like, working hard, grabbing coffee for everyone might not make you accelerate. <laughs> but, like, if you're working hard on things that matter and you've kind of identified the things that matter and then you really work hard and you stand out for working harder than other people, yeah. you will accelerate in your yeah. career. So... I'd say that. I mean, just like literally just showing up every single day. And you had to do that as an athlete. Yeah. There was no choice. Yeah. I heard you tell a story, but I kind of forget it. I, and I, kinda, I want you to retell it about how during this time, I think you did an interview for another job and you had to pick a stock and the stock was an absolute flop. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, uh, was that th- during this time? That was, dur- that was during that I inter- think I saw it on social media yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So this was, this was later. So this was um, – this is probably like early 2021. Okay. I um, basically my my wife and I were starting to think about moving back to the East Coast. You know, my my parents were getting older. Her parents mm-hmm. are getting older. Um, family is everything at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and it had taken me a while to realize that COVID for me was like a big wake up call on just how short life is. So was COVID when you decided to kind of when you made that decision to do do content. COVID was when I started writing, um, May of 2020. Uh, but that was purely just a passion project. I wasn't, I wasn't like trying to make money. I wasn't thinking, Hey, I'm going to switch jobs. Like I literally just had time (laughs) because I wasn't traveling three days a week and I wasn't, uh, you know, like working 80, hundred hour weeks anymore (laughs) just cause like we didn't have commutes, like all that stuff. And so I just had time on my hands and I always loved writing. So I started Mm -hmm. writing, but I didn't think that it was going to be something I actually, uh, you know, built a life around at all. I mean, literally until it actually happened, yeah. I didn't think about it. So that was like May 2020. Fast forward to uh, early 2021, the content stuff had taken off mm-hmm. and my Twitter platform had grown to, I don't know, 100,000 people or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple little businesses, like side businesses that I had started. But again, I was like, 
I, I work in private equity. Like my identity was still <laughs> yeah. private equity finance. And so when we started thinking about moving to the East Coast, I told my firm that I was thinking of leaving, mm-hmm. you know, to, to go to the East Coast to be closer to family. They were super supportive and loving. Um, and so I started interviewing at private equity-like funds on the East Coast. Yeah. But what I was going to do was I was going to go work at like one of these um, – they're called crossover funds, like a fund that does both private investments and public stocks, mm-hmm. like a hedge fund. Mm-hmm. And so I went to one and I was like in the final round of interviews and they asked me to pitch a stock. And I knew, and I still know nothing about the stock market. Like, uh, you know, you could ask me to, p- I would pick Apple. Like, yeah. I don't know. Just yeah. pick Apple. I'm, Amazon, just gonna, I'm just going to bet on Apple. <laughs> yeah. But like, you can't do that. So they gave me a stock, uh, Stitch Fix was the stock. And they told me that basically I had a week to put together a, a pitch to either say it's a buy, like you're going to yeah, buy it, hold, hold it. or you're going to short it because you think it's going down. And so I pitched Stitch Fix as a buy at $46 a share at the time. And you can pull it up in the show notes what it is at today. Last time I checked, it was at like $3 a share. Like <laughs> you could not have picked a worse stock to buy at that point in time. Like it was at 46, now it's at three. So, and it's, it's hilarious. I did not get the job. You would have gotten fired. <laughs> yeah, I would have gotten fired within six months if I had. So it's it's great that I, they didn't hire me. But literally, so I'm still close friends with one of the partners at that firm. And like every three or four months, mm. I'll take a screenshot of the stock ticker of Stitch Fix and send it to him with just a text that just says like, it's a good thing you didn't hire me. <laughs> that's, like great. That. that's great it's like our whole text thread is just pictures of stitch <laughs> fixes stock that's hilarious so then yeah that company so, sucks so you so you don't <laughs> yeah no one buys yeah. stitch fix. <laughs> it's actually just bad too like they don't do a good job on the service you know it's one of these like subscription box yeah. like clothing companies it's just not you didn't good. realize that when you were doing the no, report, no, no, like i actually like you know i basically like what i basically did to research it was i like googled you know reports on it uh-huh. and most of the reports I found were like laying out the bull case for like why it's a great company and why yeah. it's so good. And so then from the get go, I was like, okay, I'm, it's a buy. Here's why. And I basically just like laid out what everyone yeah. was saying. Yeah. I, again, I'm, that's why I don't work <laughs> in fair. investing. Yeah. Yeah, you made a good choice. <laughs> that's why I buy the S and P 500. So w- when you made that jump then to full time content creation, how scary was it going from the guaranteed income of private yeah. equity, big set fat salaries, chances to make a lot of money to it's now all all yeah. on you to to you yeah. know, run your own business. Um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of funny for me because, like I said, I had never thought that I was, like, making a jump to going and doing this. And I still, to this day, like, I don't I don't really make money off content creation. Um, I basically give away everything for free. Like, yeah. all of my content's free. I don't I don't have a course. I don't have, you know, like, but anything to But do all your sell. businesses kind of yeah, exactly. around so it, right? So I yeah. – um, but what I was thinking about from the get-go was – I was creating all this content. I had an audience, like I had attention from people. And I knew that that meant there was some value in this system. I just didn't know what. And so I was coming at it from a business mindset of like, I'm not going to want to create content for the next 50 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to be working at the time I was, you know, 30-ish, I might work for the next 30 years or I want to work on something that I really care about. And so like, what are the real businesses that can be built around this? that have durability beyond me creating content every yeah. single day. Cause I had seen, you know, there's all these like Instagram influencers. That was my mind of what yeah. a content creator is, is like they're doing brand deals. They're like promoting some like, you know, necklace company. They're yeah. promoting some water or whatever, like yeah. all the different things. And they're making some cash for it. Mm-hmm. And that sounds so sexy when you're starting. Then the reality is like, 10 years later, you still having to go create that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Like, yeah, I didn't want to do that. For brand deals. And so I, um, I basically started thinking about like, okay, who can I partner with? What are the businesses that can be built around this? And I had started 
like in early 2021, I had started this little like agency business, basically helping startup founders and entrepreneurs with building their own personal brands. I had done that via my platform. So I kind of had blueprints and playbooks that I thought could work. And so I started this little business and hired an operator. And by the time I started thinking about leaving my day job, that business was making like 75K in cash a month. And so that was actually more than I was making at yeah. my day so, job. So, so you were like charging like a few thousand Five bucks to a month. Five to ten grand a month retainers. Sweet. You know, premium price point for yeah. like what was a premium. You know, and it was delivering really clear results. So the mm-hmm. ROI was like. Were you operating that business too at the time? Or not you had really. A, yeah. I mean, I was like helping with strategy stuff. There was kind of an operator that was doing like, basically the operator was like helping them write. And he was Got a great it. writer. And he was right, like yeah. doing ghost writing and helping them. And then I was helping like sort of, um, you know, with strategy and like what the yeah. types of things are. And I, but I wasn't having to do a lot of time. It was like really, really high leverage, but it was driving results for them. And so I started that business. That grew to the point where I was making more money off that than I was off my like lucrative private equity job. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened was I didn't get this job in New York, the one where I pitched Stitch Fix, (laughs) and I literally had no options on the table. But I had already told my firm I was leaving. Mm -hmm. And I woke up one morning in the, like, depths of darkness thinking that I had totally screwed up my life. I was like, I had this great thing going at my firm in California. I told them I was leaving and that we're moving. Mm -hmm. I don't have another job. (laughs) I have no clue what I'm going to go do because my identity, again – was so tied up in being like a finance guy. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have to, you know, I'm a, I'm a, on the partner track here, so I have to go join another firm in finance and be <laughs> on the partner track. Yeah. And I hadn't literally hadn't thought about all these things that I was doing on the mm-hmm. side that were making a lot of money. My wife looked at me and she was like, why don't you just like, isn't this other thing doing well that you're doing? Like, why don't you just do that? But yeah. all the time, because like right now you're doing it on the weekends. Like, don't you think it could be bigger if you just yeah. focus on that? And I remember having it be this like aha moment. And in hindsight, it's stupidly obvious. Like I was doing this other thing that was clearly that I was clearly better at. Like mm-hmm. it was just my it was clear that it was my thing, like the thing that I might be the best in the world at. And uh, I just never thought like sometimes until someone says something yeah. in a different way or has a different lens, you just never think about it. Mm-hmm. And that was what happened. So she said that to me, and basically that was the day that I flipped the switch to say okay, I'm actually just going to go all in on this. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean, that was like the beginning of the next journey of my life, really. Yeah. Before we get back to the pod, let me tell you guys about my favorite way to make money on sports and fire on sports. It's prize picks. Prize picks is sponsoring this pod, and I love it because I actually use it all the time. I've been trying different sports books, different daily fantasy apps, and prize picks is by far the best. Prize picks is different than regular sports books or sports betting because on prize picks, you're picking players, not teams. So if you know sports, know ball, know what players are going to ball out, you can make tons of money. On prize picks, each player has a set projected total for a stat. Let's say points, rebounds. If it's Steph Curry, 30 points, you pick higher or lower for Steph Curry. Super fun, and you can make tons of money. I've been ripping on it, and I have a special promo code for you guys to get a $100 deposit bonus with the code NEXTUP. Use the code NEXTUP when you download prize picks, or click the link in the description. It'll do it automatically for you. Code NEXTUP gets you a $100 deposit bonus so you can fire on sports on prize picks. Let's rock on prize picks. Now back to the pot. What are the other, you said you don't really make much content or yeah. much money off your content. What are the operating businesses yeah. you have around your kind of yeah. content pillars? So I have a, my holding company now has 10 businesses in it. Um, that agency that I mentioned was the first mm-hmm. one. Um, there's been nine since, you know, all things that basically the model I took was uh, like Amazon did this 
you know, thing in the early days where they said, what are our cost centers? And they wanted to turn them into profit centers. Mm -hmm. Amazon Web Services is the most famous example. They were spending all yeah. this money on servers. They decided we should actually own mm -hmm. that. Now people pay them. Everyone yeah. has to pay them for these servers and for cloud access. Um, I wanted to do that with my ecosystem. So as an example of that, I was spending tons of money on design services mm -hmm. uh, for different designs, graphics, you know, web websites, all those kinds of things. Um, now I own a business that does that, that does, you know, it, like in its first two months, it did 250K of revenue and yeah. it's super high margin. Partner with a great operator to actually run it. All I have to do is drive leads to that business. Is that who made your platform. website? Uh, yes. Personal website. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you who yeah, made yeah. that when we got done because yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do great work. So it <laughs> yeah. was like, Basically, the model that I then employed was, what am I spending money on and how can I actually just, rather than sending that business referrals and making like a couple hundred yeah. bucks, I actually want to own that business, yeah. partner with an amazing operator to do it. So like video clip editing, I own a business around, you know, animations, graphic things, mm -hmm. I own a business around um, newsletter growth, it's like a big area that I've focused on. The team that was doing mine, I ended up productizing right. with them and building yeah. a business around it. And so all of these things are like, they're actually all like individually quite nice cash flow, mm -hmm. high cash flow, high margin businesses. You put them all together and it's like this really powerful engine of, yeah. of income and cash flow that's just compounding while I'm not doing anything. <laughs> um, and so all I have to do with all of that is focus on the thing I really enjoy, which is the creative work, yeah. the platform, and I can drive leads to all those businesses. They're high ticket services. So it's like, I don't need to drive 20,000 leads. Yeah. I might need to drive 10 a in a few, month yeah. and it's, you know, at 10, at five to 10 K a month ticket, it's like yeah, very, very impactful for these businesses yeah. if we can service them. Um, so I've really pursued it that way. Um, I also have a venture fund that I invest out of. Yeah. That's not really a money maker. Like I don't charge fees on it. It's a long-term wealth creator because it's, you know, carried yeah. interest over the long term. I love investing um, in that asset class mainly because it allows me to just speak with really smart young people, people. that are thinking yeah. about the future. Yeah. And that's just exciting to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of my business ecosystem is built around these businesses that are in my holding company um, that are kind of continuing to expand. When it comes to your content, how do you balance? Well, one thing as a content creator myself, on the I do more video than mm -hmm. I don't really do much writing, is the balance between quality and quality and quantity, yeah. right? And I, I've always had the strategy of post as much as humanly possible. Yeah. I always tell my team like, even if we don't love the video, post it. The yeah. algorithm dictates if it's good or not, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of the Gary V mindset almost, yeah, yeah. just post, post, post. I feel like you may be a little different than that in that you have very high quality written content. Yeah. It feels like you put a lot of thought into it. When I when I see a piece of your content, I know that it's going to be yeah. a good piece of content. How do you balance that, that quantity yeah. versus quality? I think the platforms have really dictated it. Your point yeah. uh, that you made is a very, very good one. TikTok, as an example, I know nothing about TikTok. We talked about this before we started mm -hmm. shooting. Um, TikTok seems to be a platform where you should just post more and more yeah. and more because the algorithm seems to incentivize consistent more posting, yeah. more posting to drive up and boost your videos because they want people on the app and engaging mm -hmm. and doing that. And they realize, like every platform, that 1% of users are the ones that are actually creating the vast majority of the content. Yeah. So they want to incentivize that behavior. The written content platforms are just different. Twitter... Mm -hmm is not really a platform where you know you, you want to like shotgun blast content <laughs> yeah. out there. My whole thing was always exactly what you said, which was I want people to know when they see a post from me that it's going to be high quality mm -hmm. um, and that I'm not um, selling things to them constantly. Yeah. Like what, you know, I, I don't like it when I'm on Instagram and I see other people and it's like every other post is an ad for something. Mm -hmm. um, I really wanted to try to limit that. And so 
I try to be really thoughtful about when I post something on the written platforms, like on Twitter or with my newsletter or LinkedIn for that matter, that it's something that someone is going to get value from. That's yeah. kind of my bar is like, if I think that there's a decent number of people that are going to get value from this and it's going to improve their life, I don't really care if everyone gets value from it in my yeah. audience because not everything is going to be for everyone. For everyone yeah. um, but I want it to be high quality and valuable. Yeah. For me, that usually means just posting once a day on those platforms. Does Has your content evolved a little bit in the as it's gotten more broad do you feel like i i yeah i kind of feel like when you started were you more finance driven yeah, and now more sure. self-help yeah. you know like not almost yeah, yeah. life coach that's probably bad, but like okay. yeah, I don't, you know yeah. it, it, was that <laughs> yeah. was that intentional yeah i mean i um if you track the arc of any big creator today mm -hmm. like you look at a joe rogan or a tim ferris or any of these guys they all kind of started in a niche and in a lane and over time, you can see how they expanded um, the like the reach and the kind of the the breadth of what they're actually talking about. Um, you know, like Tim Ferriss was sort of like a niche like biohacker, you know, yeah. kind of doing all these crazy self experiments, doing all these yeah. weird things. Wrote his books, you know, for our work week, for our body, and then he's you know slowly become just like part of the cultural zeitgeist with his podcast and mm -hmm. talking to an amazing assortment of people. Um, and so I kind of always just thought like I always study people that are better at things than me and try yeah. to learn from them. Um, and apply it to my own maps of how I'm thinking about the world. And so for me, that started with finance. And like, it was a time when there was a lot of confusing shit happening in the world of finance because yeah. it was early in COVID. Markets were soaring, but the economy was shut down. It didn't make any sense. I worked in finance, so I had credibility yeah. to talk about yeah. those things. Um, and I was around them every day, so I sort of knew about them. Mm -hmm. And so I started there. And what I just quickly realized was like, this game was all about consistency and I needed yeah. to be able to do this for the long term if I cared about it and wanted to build. And I knew that I wasn't going to care about finance for that long. Like yeah. that had a short duration for me of like really having new <laughs> insights and wanting to talk yeah. about it every day. And I never wanted to have it be like I was on some treadmill of like, you know, I see a lot of my friends like big YouTubers in these different categories. They're like, ah, I got to make another video about dividends this week just because yeah. like they know they have to put out another personal finance video <laughs> and there's only so many topics you can talk about. Yeah. They've already had 30 videos on dividends. They got to do another one. Um, and so I just wanted to basically write about things I cared about. And my bet was that there would be other people that cared about those things. <laughs> and so I, you know, you can see it in my content, but now I really just share sort of pieces of my journey, like what I'm struggling with, wrestling with questions I'm asking myself um, things I'm learning about my own life and, you know, the changes with becoming a dad and, uh, you know, friendships and how they change over the course of your life, mm -hmm. people you leave behind, people you grow into, like all of those things, is that's what I'm thinking about every day. And so I try to share that because I know it'll come across as much more authentic than me just trying to like jam content in that because yeah. it's in my niche, quote yeah. unquote. What's something that you're struggling with in your content or business journey now? I would say just like, Balance is probably the biggest thing right now is figuring out how do I want to design my life to be balanced across these different areas that now exist in it. You know, like in the traditional career path, you don't get to design that. That's, yeah. to, that's told to yeah. you like, hey, Given work to is going to yeah. be all of it. Yeah. And if you have time to spend time with your kids after work and recuperate, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want that. I opted out of that, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so now I have this like blank canvas of getting to sort of decide what, how I want to spend time on different things. Do I want to try to go be the biggest, you know, like impact a billion lives? 
Mm-hmm. But if that's a trade-off of not spending time with my son over the first 10 years of his life, I actually don't want that. And so yeah. I need to figure out, and I'm trying to be very deliberate about, what are the, like, what's the one hour I can spend that creates 100 hours of value for me? Yeah. And what is that thing? Like, that's what I should be working on and doing. And how, mm-hmm. what's the team that has to get built out around that for that to actually work as an mm-hmm. apparatus? Um, that's what I'm spending a lot of time on now. It's like, I would say I'm spending more time figuring out where to deploy my energy than actually deploying energy yeah, right now. Makes sense. Now that's a, it's a fascinating topic too, especially with all you have going on and all the different businesses. And you know, the statistics would say that you start 10 businesses, the, the data would say one of them is not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. How do you balance number one, all those different things going on your content, your businesses, your podcasts like this, you just signed a book deal, which we'll talk about. Um, and also being okay that maybe not every single one is going to be ultra successful. Yeah. How, how do you balance that trade off? Yeah, I mean, I'm not afraid of failure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the athlete mindset, right? Yeah. Uh, going back to things you learn from being on the field, uh, I have zero fear about failures like that. Yeah. I mean, and it's the whole point of being diversified across a bunch of things, yeah. too. It's like if one, one of them one fails, that's, fail. that's okay. Yeah. Um, and that's happened. I've had things that haven't worked. Um, so I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm just like I'm not afraid of testing things, and mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, just being able to pull quickly. Yeah. Like I, I try not to get. I'm better about it now than I was five, ten years ago. I just try not to get wedded to things. Yeah. Like if it's not working, it's not working, and that's okay. Um, it's no one's fault. It's just like it didn't work. I tend to think that we have a uh, cheat code to all of this. I mean, mm-hmm. the like the combination of distribution and operations. Like if yeah. you can get. There's a lot of people who are amazing operators but have no distribution. So yeah. all they their only way of getting distribution is they have to spend a bunch of money on like Facebook ads or Instagram mm-hmm. ads to try to grow. That's very expensive and very challenging to do efficiently. I'm really, really good at distribution. Yeah. I have millions of people that care about the things that I'm interested in, fortunately. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible as an operator. I could yeah. not run a business. <laughs> I don't want to manage teams. I like have no ability to do that. Mm-hmm. But if you pair the two together it becomes this really, really powerful thing. Yeah. And so that's like, that's an unfair advantage that to me, it's like my responsibility to exploit that yeah. as an as an unfair advantage. And that means we can build businesses with a much higher probability of success than an average person starting a business. Yeah. Um, the key there is actually finding the right operator and for them finding the right person like me who actually can drive eyeballs to their business. Yeah, and and I feel like you've executed, you say you're not a great operator, but you've executed so well on the perfect time with the, with the content yeah. creation, with Twitter, with, uh, a lot of people have tried to do what you're doing right yeah. now, right? I mean, a ton yeah. have tried to do it. Most people, you know, can't, um, can't get a million followers on Twitter, can't build up the hundreds of thousands every, everywhere else. What do you think it, what do you think it was about the execution that went into it that allows you to be so, so successful? What was the differentiator there? Um, I mean, uh, there's probably you two just things. write better than everybody else. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, definitely not that. I mean, the, the two things to me would be like, I've literally shown up every single day since I started May 12th of 2020, whenever that yeah. was. Like every single day. Yeah. You know, I've written two newsletters a week every single week since January of 2021. Um, that's a lot of writing. It's a lot, and yeah. it's like, I didn't skip Thanksgiving. I didn't skip Christmas. I didn't mm-hmm. skip New Year's. I didn't skip. I mean, I my birthday, whatever. I didn't take a vacation. I didn't take paternity leave. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I literally fucking showed up yeah. every single day. And so people were like, "Oh, what's the hack? What's the trick? What's the playbook?" Yeah. Like, I literally wrote three hundred thousand words. Like, I don't know. There's yeah. no. There's no hack. That's what it was. That yeah. was the hack. Um, and if you want to do that, be my guest. But I don't <laughs> think most people will. Um, yeah, that's that's just point. how I was wired. And so, yeah. um, that's probably one. I mean, the second piece is. 
I think it comes across that what I'm talking about isn't something I read in a book. Like yeah. it's about my life. Mm-hmm. The things that I'm sharing now, especially around building and kind of finding your own definition of a wealthy life, that's that's my journey. I'm mm-hmm. like I'm talking about my life. I'm talking about how I went in one year from being on the floor, unable to move from a panic attack of thinking about not knowing where my life was headed to waking up in bed with my wife, with our newborn son, and feeling like as happy as I've ever been in my whole life Mm -hmm. in the span of one year. And what I'm sharing is what I did along that way and the path and the things that changed in my life and the like tiny, unremarkable things that I did every single day that were individually unremarkable but led to this Mm -hmm. remarkable overall change. That's what I'm talking about. I think that comes across to people that it's real. It does. No, that's awesome. What what, what led to the being on the floor with a panic attack, what, what led to that point in your life? I had a conversation. Um, so it's like right around the time when I got rejected from this job. Mm-hmm. Didn't know yeah. what, what I was going to do, where I was going to go. I got together with a friend in California uh, for a drink. And we were talking about our lives and how things were going. And he asked me um, – how life was. And I said, well, you know, things are, things are good, but like, we're really far from our families on the East coast and I don't get to see my parents often. Um, and I was really, really close to my parents and my dad, like my dad and I, from a young age, like I, uh, my dad was like my hero. He's my role model. Um, and so he asked me how often do you see your parents? And I said, once a year, he said, how old are your parents? I said, 65. And he looked at me and he said, okay, so you're going to see them 15 more times before they die. And I remember just feeling like I got punched in the gut. Mm-hmm. And I went home that night and I'd had a few too many drinks and I passed out uh, downstairs. And I woke up the next morning and um, I couldn't move. I mean, I've, like, I've never had a panic attack in my life. I've never had anything like that happen. But I like felt like I couldn't breathe. I mean, it's something I honestly wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, like a thousand pounds on your chest. Like can't, can't move, can't get up. Um, and that was the day I decided that something had to change in our life. And I told my wife that I wanted to move back to the East Coast. And God bless her. Uh, she was excited for a big change. And within 45 days, we had sold our house in California. I had left my job. And we bought a house on the East Coast and moved back. Um, and that was really the beginning of all of this. I mean, yeah. this big change. It was like, they say you need to hit rock bottom in some way to mm-hmm. sort of like, there's only one way to go from there <laughs> yeah. is up. Um, yeah. And that conversation with that friend, I mean, that for me was it. And you know, it's, it's something that people have talked about. I've written about this now, like doing that math and thinking about mm-hmm. those things. Um, but that impact is, uh, really, really hard to put into words. If it wasn't for that conversation, would you be doing what you're doing now? It probably would have come out in some Somehow. other way. Yeah. Um, maybe less dramatic than it did, <laughs> but I'm sure, you know, it's like at some point it was like a ticking time bomb yeah. that something needed to change in my life. The way it happened was just so striking all at once. And personally, I'm a big believer that like we tend to make um, big decisions slowly and small mm-hmm. decisions quickly. Yeah. And I kind of think you need to reverse it 
because big decisions you get paralyzed around. People yeah. overthink the shit out Analysis of them. Analysis paralysis. <laughs> yeah, big time. And yeah. I'm an analytical person, so I really have a tendency to do that. And so like the big decision being forced quickly mm-hmm. of like, okay, we're going to move across the country. Even though I had been in California for 12 years, we had just bought a house and built a house mm-hmm. in California and we're just going to do it really quickly because you can't think about it and be like, oh, this yeah. doesn't make sense. Should we just yeah. stay? Let's give it another year. And then another year turns into four years, you know, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you, you've never been home and yeah. your parents die and you're not there. Yeah. Um, and I just want, I just, I just wanted something to change mm-hmm. and sort of figured that change of scenery, change of environment, your environment shapes your reality. Yeah. Um, and you know, like we're sitting here on a Monday, um, yesterday was father's day and I was able to see both sets of parents with their grandson in a single day. Yeah, like we drove amazing. to Boston, yeah. spent time with my wife's family. We drove to Connecticut, spent time with my parents, take a picture with my dad with like the three generations of bloom so cool. men in it. Like yeah. there's nothing, I mean, you couldn't pay me a hundred million dollars, like a billion dollars to take away those moments. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't trade anything in the world for that. And so now I look at it and I can like really smile about it. And the journey is really impactful and meaningful to me. Uh, but it was not always a pretty one. So that's what your book's about. Yeah. And, and you, that, yeah. that had to be surreal to yeah. sign, a, sign a book deal. Tell, yeah. tell me about that. Yeah. Um, how they come about? I mean, I, I, all of my content had been around written content. So like Twitter was the Naturally, shortest form. Yeah. <laughs> Newsletters started to get longer from there. Book always sort of felt like the natural next step mm-hmm. of going deeper on one topic. I just didn't want to write about something I didn't care about again. Um, you know, and in the book industry, the thing about it is, and you've probably noticed this if you're a reader, nonfiction books, the vast majority of them today could be like a 10-page blog or essay. Mm. And that's the big like lamentation about those books is yeah. like most of them you read the first chapter and you're like, okay, I get it. You know, I get the <laughs> yeah. point. Like you gave the thesis, yeah. you know, it's Spark fine. And then the whole book <laughs> is just like stories, whatever about yeah. it. Um, and I didn't want to do that. Like I didn't want to write a book that people would say that about. Um, and so I really waited like about a year of just thinking about different things. Like what was a topic that I was really excited about? Because what I thought was if this goes really poorly, like if the book totally flops and I sell like two copies to my mom and dad, um, (laughs) I just spent two years of my life working on something that totally failed and I better have Mm -hmm. liked doing it. And then in the other case, if it goes really well and it sells like a million plus copies, I'm going to be talking about this for the next 10 years of my life. Every cocktail party I go to, everything people want to know about this, every interview. (laughs) And so again, I really need to have liked the topic. Um, And so I waited until I had figured that out. And basically, you know, it came out of my own journey and these Mm -hmm. things that were happening and you know, sharing that sort of path and that better way that I felt like I had developed with everybody else yeah. um, was really what, you know, the, the book kind of came yeah. together around. And I'm still in the writing process now. Uh, hopefully it'll come out in 2024, but oh, cool. that's kind of where we're at. Awesome. Yeah. Who, who are some of the influential people in your life? Some of the mentors? I, I saw a little bit, you were mentored by Tim Cook. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Tim has been an amazing uh, mentor and friend to me for many years now. I mean, I met Tim at the gym at 4:45 in the morning and really? uh, when in, I when I yeah when yeah. I started my first job um at that private equity fund I just I knew I needed to work out in the morning cuz the evenings were going to be like late yeah. nights um and so I started going to the uh gym in Palo Alto before going to the office and I would get there before it opened so I'd get there at like 4:45 they would mm. kind of come open the doors at like 4:50 or so and I knew that I could like work out from 5 to 6 and then get to the office by 6:30 and at that time in the morning at a nicer gym, like it's a pretty narrow band of people that will show up every single day. (laughs) Um, and 
you know, there might've been eight, five to eight people mm-hmm. or something that were there every single day. So you kind of became friendly with them. He was one of those people. Um, I was just starting my career. I wasn't looking for a job. Like I wasn't trying to get something. It wasn't like some yeah. transaction. Um, and we developed a relationship, uh, as a result, he's been, um, an incredible, incredible mentor and friend and helping me in different ways and supporting me in this, you know, new journey and yeah. set of endeavors and kind of encouraging me to like take the leap to go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think he saw the excitement that I had for it and just the like, he's a big, I mean, one of the biggest things I've learned from him is like, do things you're great at and outsource things you're not. Yeah. Like he has not tried to be Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been very easy to fall into that trap to try to be the like next yeah. crazy, you know, transformational design mm-hmm. product CEO of Apple. And he knew he wasn't good at that. And so kept people around and hired yeah. people that were amazing at that. And he focused on what he was exceptional, you know, best yeah. in the world at, which was like supply chain operations, all of that. And Apple became the best in the mm-hmm. world at that. Um, and so I think applying that same mental model to my own life, like what am I potentially the best in the world at mm-hmm. and how can I focus on that? And the things that I'm not good at, let other people do yeah. and bring in people that are going to be amazing at those. Um, that has really, really helped me a lot. How do you, uh, how do you go about approaching Tim Cook at the gym? And he walked in the first time, really? Like, I think that's no, Tim Cook. I mean, the, no, <laughs> I, I wasn't in tech, so I didn't know who he was, to be honest. Like, I mean, I knew the name, yeah. but I didn't know what he looked like. Um, and you know, like you're not really on the, you know, that's like not what you're thinking about. I was just like deadlifting and doing dumb stuff, (laughs) you know, like I was just working out. And so you would, but uh, you know, you're around the same six to seven people every single day. Like I would, you would just talk to them every day. And so I actually went six months before someone told me who he was Mm -hmm. of like talking to him basically every single day. (laughs) And then eventually I was like, shit. I have probably yeah. been saying stupid things to this guy <laughs> that is like this really big. And at the time he was like, he was CEO of Apple, but he had just become CEO of Apple. Um, he wasn't like the famous figure that he is today. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his profile wasn't nearly as big. He was still well known, but he wasn't who he is today. Yeah. Um, and I think it's amazing, you know, what he's built and continued to build to this day. Like, I don't think we've ever talked about Apple. You know, we yeah. got, got together like a lot over the years. I just saw him recently. Like, I just, I don't care. I'm not like, I'm not trying to learn about Apple. Which he probably appreciates, right? Yeah, I think so. Because it's very hard, you know, when you're at the top, it's lonely. Like the whole saying, it's lonely at the top is very true. There aren't that many people that aren't looking for something from you. Everyone, and any new person you meet at that point, it's like, okay, what's the transaction? Like, what do they want? What's the trade? Um, It's like being president of a country. I mean, he's the GDP, you know, like Apple's market cap is probably bigger than the GDP of most countries. Um, And so I think like, it's hard to find genuine relationships when you're in a position of fame or status or power. Um, And it's like, it's a downside of all of these things. It's a real downside of success that people don't think about. Everyone says they want to be famous. It's not great. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It's not, it's not really something that you really want. Like getting stopped everywhere you go with your family and like, you're constantly having people come up to you. It's like, it's hard. It's not, not fun. Do you get people coming up to you a lot? No. Yeah, in like in cities a lot. Yeah. Not necessarily like in my, in my town, maybe every now and then. But like in if I'm walking around New York, yeah. usually one person at least will come up and say yeah. something. Um, but I don't post anything controversial, so it's never bad. Like it's never, <laughs> yeah. you know, I can imagine if you're like a controversial online figure, it can be like a little Real, scary yeah. if you're with your family and someone comes up and yeah. says something to you. But all my stuff is so positive and flowery. Yeah. Like when people are coming up to me, it's because they're saying something that impacted yeah. them positively usually. Uh, I want to dive into, you know, this is most of my content is college sports. Yeah. Um, you're a former co- Division One athlete. Yeah. 
the current state of college athletics has changed a ton in the last four to five years, probably the last three years, actually. NIL, transfer mm-hmm. portal in college football, college basketball. Um, for college athletes watching this, even high school athletes, what's something that if you could go back and and you had NIL when you were playing or you mm-hmm. could build your brand back then, what's something that you would do that, you know, an advice that you would give anyone looking to do it now when it comes to maximizing your name, image, and likeness, building your brand on social media, yeah. content creation, what, what advice would you give athletes? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely build a personal brand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all about building assets that are transferable, that accrue value to you over yeah. the long term. It's and like post-playing every, career too. Yeah, it's everything yeah. in life. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, um, you know, your ability to build and harness a platform and an audience, um, all it is is that you then own attention of people and commerce follows attention. It yeah. doesn't matter. Like the traditional way of doing that has been products. Like you mm-hmm. can like help brands get eyeballs. Um, more untraditional ways are the things I'm talking about of like you're building a business that is leveraging it at a higher level and in a slightly different way where you're not yeah. having to post brands and, uh, you know, um, products and things that you're selling all the time. You're like, there's services and there's mm. things that are kind of higher ticket and, you know, generating income while you're not posting. Yeah. Um, but all of that relies on you building your personal brand and having sort of the attention of people. Um, and you have a unique opportunity to do that while you're in college and you don't actually have to be the star player to do it, which yeah. is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of players like obviously the star players will do well. Mm-hmm. They'll garner tons of eyeballs cause they're performing on the field. But if you have a little niche or something that's interesting or unique about you and you're able to sort of leverage the fact that you're in this position as an athlete to drive new eyes that you otherwise might find challenging to do, um, it's a really, really good opportunity for these yeah. athletes. But I think the biggest thing I would encourage them is to think creatively and think differently about how to harvest value from this opportunity. Because brand deals are the obvious one, and it's like what everyone wants to go to because someone will hand you like $5,000 yeah. to go post, you know, post an yeah. ad for some shampoo company on your Instagram or whatever. Um, but that's going to pay you today. That's not what I want, actually. I, like a few thousand dollars today, great, whatever. Yeah. I'd probably go blow it on something stupid. I go, <laughs> yeah. I go buy the Apple Vision Pro, and like, you know, there it's gone. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like, not to mention after taxes and all these other things. Yeah. Um, what can you be building that is going to compound for the next 30, 40 years? Like, what are the businesses that can actually be built around what you're doing? Mm-hmm. What is the durable, sustainable growth and income and wealth? that can be created off of all of this. Yeah. You know, most people think that like, okay, yeah, I'll do a bunch of these brand deals and then I'll invest in real estate. Will you actually, or are you just saying that? Because yeah. <laughs> what you want to do is you want to create income streams and wealth streams that are disjointed from you having to do anything on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I know today that if I don't work for the next week, I'm still going to make just as much money as I would yeah. if I worked. I mean, my work is exp- it's driving growth, mm-hmm. but my work is not driving the existing income base from these companies it's driving new clients and new things but it's not driving the existing base Mm -hmm. and that's a powerful thing it's like an amazing feeling of security that gets created um, by creating these income and wealth streams that are dislocated from you having to do something on a daily basis that's leverage like that's real Mm -hmm. so i would focus on that what what's a what's maybe an example of a of a business or a revenue stream that an athlete let's say a star football player that's my Mm -hmm. most people that watch this are you know, probably a star athlete, star college player watches this. Yeah. What's an idea that they could? I know you. You, you yeah. always got great ideas. What's well, yeah. something they could do that's either like a yeah. creator? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, there's a lot of families in the U.S. of high school children, uh, parents of high school kids who are trying to understand the recruiting process for okay. college. 
Um, there are tons of services that try to provide support for those yeah. processes. Like no different than a college counselor being hired to help a Good kid school. apply to colleges. You got to navigate the recruiting process. How do you talk to coaches? How do you email them? What are the letters you should care about? What shouldn't you care about? Mm-hmm. Like very real challenges of being a sort of like mid fringe yeah. potential college athlete. The top ones, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Like everything comes to you. It's really easy. The bottom ones, you know, maybe they just shouldn't focus on it. But in yeah. the middle, yeah. which is kind of where I was, I had no idea. My parents didn't know anything about college sports. Yeah. So I don't know what I did. It was like, it was super clumsy. Um, if you're a college athlete, all those people follow you already. Yeah. Uh, all of the kids that, you know, might be interested in that, the parents, whatever. Um, can you find an operator, partner with an operator who actually might go build out a recruiting service um, yeah. that you can drive leads to and eyeballs to? Yeah. And that type of recruiting service, like, you know, these parents are willing to pay quite a bit of money to yeah. potentially get their kid a scholarship. Oh, so so you're, you're selling to the parents, not the oh, kid, which sure. is the best for, part. For like, sure. Yeah, yeah. People you got to sell together. where the money is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you got to sell where the money is. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, that type of thing. If a kid ends up getting a small scholarship or something mm-hmm. like that to go play in college, like that, you can charge whatever you want for that yeah. service. Not to mention it makes the kid really happy. The parents are proud of their kid for going and playing a sport in this place. Um, and I think it would be a really valuable service to like help them navigate the whole process and, yeah. and, uh, and experience. So, um, I don't know. It's just a random yeah, no, idea a that's coming idea. to my head yeah. right now. But yeah. like, I'm impressed um, I popped in your yeah, head. I mean, so there, there actually might be something interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to look into that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there are com- – and the thing actually like, that's like an important lesson to take away from this is um, there's this tendency to think that every idea you have to come up with is like the new Facebook or the new Instagram yeah. or the new Snapchat, like some crazy new idea that no one's thought of and so innovative and different. And like that's mostly bullshit. Yeah. The vast majority of businesses – they already exist, and that's okay. You can still yeah. make a ton of money doing them. Like, there's plenty of, uh, you know, on, like web design businesses yeah. that are doing like websites and stuff. There's probably tens of thousands of them mm-hmm. in the U.S. Um, but we started one, and it still did still a quarter well. million of revenue in the first two months. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. There's an infinite amount of possibility out there. It's just executing and going yeah. out and capturing it. So you don't need the idea. Like if if someone starts. Is, thinks of starting this and they go and look it up and they're like, Oh no, this already, already exists. 20 of them. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm gar- I guarantee this it exists because I came up with it in two seconds. So I know that other people have thought of it, yeah. uh, that there's money to be made in it. And yeah. if there's money to be made in something, we live in a free market economy. Someone yeah. is making money yeah. in it, which is amazing thing about capitalism. Um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it yeah. and that you can't find clients for it. Yeah, no, so true. And it doesn't have it, to be that big for it to be impactful, by the way, like these businesses, they don't require startup capital, so you don't have to invest in them to start. Usually you can start for zero. And they make money from day one because yeah. you're charging right out of the gate. And yeah. so it's like, I mean, even, you know, if you can go – if you have five clients, you know, 10 clients at $5,000 a month, yeah. 10 clients makes a $50,000 business. You know, it's probably like 50% percent, margins, yeah. like probably, 80% yeah, margins right. if yeah. it's just a person, yeah. you know, running it and helping you navigate it. So like, you know, you can make a 25 k a month revenue stream that like – most people in the country can easily live an amazing life off of that, yeah. off of one little thing that you came up with. Yeah, yeah. We just started it right here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope someone starts. That is great. Yeah. What uh during this the last few years where you've gone gone all in on content and the businesses, what's what would you say has been the most difficult moment during the last couple of years for you? The most challenging time? Uh I don't know. I mean, I think that like the public facing nature of it is definitely different for me. Um, you know, having, you're kind of like putting your neck out, you're like making yourself really vulnerable mm-hmm. on a daily basis, putting things out there for people to take things the wrong way and, um, you know, get upset or angry about it. Like I had this one 
thing that I wrote, this is probably now like not two years ago. It's probably a little over a year ago. It was just after my son was born, actually. Um, and I wrote this, you know, this, um, this whole thing happened in my house. Like this, uh, young man came to my house and knocked on the door and was looking for like business career advice. He was trying to make it in the music came industry. Yeah. And we live in, um, we live in Westchester, but like kind of right near the Bronx though. Like, uh, you know, there's the, the Bronx and then Westchester. And so he had come from the Bronx and was looking for career advice and business advice. And, um, uh, you know, came and knocked and he was like super kind and earnest. And so I had him inside and we chatted for a while about what he was trying to do. And I'm just like, that's how I'm wired. I like really like helping young people, especially people that are like looking genuinely to mm -hmm. grow in their life. Um, and so then I wrote about it and about how I thought it was interesting that he came and knocked on the door and, uh, you know, was like, was looking for help. And I was saying how, like, if he had emailed me, I probably would have ignored it because I yeah. get thousands of emails, but it's much harder to say no to someone's, someone's face. <laughs> yeah, Cause he's like smiling and yeah. like very genuine, very clear. And, um, you know, he's put together in his presentation and how he approached it. And I wrote about it. And it turned into this, like, people, you know, yelling at me saying that kids were going to get killed going and doing this. And <laughs> I clearly hadn't intended for that to be the case, yeah. you know, to, like, have it be anything negative. But people took it that way, and it went in that mm -hmm. direction, and then it got caught, you know, on Twitter especially. Like, yeah. it gets caught in, like, a negative cycle, yeah. and people are just Take yelling at you and sending you <laughs> death threats. And, like, yeah. and that was never my intention, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I'm, I was purely positive intentions in all of this stuff. Um, and so that was pretty tough for me because it was like, I just wasn't used to putting out things that people got angry at. It was yeah. like, again, I'm a very positive person. It's just yeah. how I'm wired. Um, and so that was very weird. And it was also a wake up call to me of like, oh, wow, anything you say can be taken in the yeah. slightly wrong direction. And so you really need to be careful mm -hmm. about what it is that you put out there. Yeah. The other piece of it was like, because my platform was pretty big when that came out, news like traditional media, like mainstream media, took it as like an opportunity to like come at you. Yeah. yeah. So like business insider wrote an article about it and fortune wrote an yeah, article business about insider. it. And I was just like, yeah, you know, the 15 people that subscribe to business insider yeah. probably yeah. enjoyed the article. But, um, you know, to me, I was like, okay, you kind of have a target at yeah. some point when you've made it to a certain level. It's sort of like, Oh, you made it, you know, yeah. when these people think that that's a story to yeah. write this. Um, but it was definitely a wake up call to me that like, you have to really be careful when you have a platform and for athletes out there that do have platforms, everything that you put out there could end up on the cover of the New York Times. Yeah. And you have to assume that like any text message you send, any email you send, all of those things is going to be yeah. out there. Um, and I'm still not great about that. Like I still mm. have to catch myself and say like, oh, I actually shouldn't, you know, <laughs> say this, whatever, write this, yeah. wherever on any of my platforms because someone might take it the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, but athletes really need to be aware of it too. Yeah. What's, uh, what's advice? I asked you about college athletes with NIL. What about professional athletes who have made a lot of money, come across in a, you know, a few short years, tens of millions of dollars? You know, you've seen ton, all the stories about athletes going broke, things mm -hmm. like that. I, I feel like that trend's shifting a little bit, yeah. and you're getting smarter investors and athletes that, you know, the athlete investor is kind of a cool trend right now. What advice would you give an athlete who's, who's just maybe just got drafted and got a $5 million signing bonus? What are they, yeah. what, what's the best steps to take for financial security long term? surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. It's like my advice for anyone at any stage of life. It's like who you surround yourself with is where you're going to head in mm -hmm. life. Um, if you're still hanging around the same friends who were talking about bullshit from the past yeah. and like fun times from way back when, uh, you know, that's where they're headed. Yeah. You got to be surrounded by people that are thinking about the future, about the things you're building, about the interesting things you're learning, the things you're doing. When you do that, good things happen. Yeah. When you're stuck with people that are just talking about the past and thinking about the past, 
bad things tend to happen. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of financial advisors out there that are just looking to take advantage of guys, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, they want to get the big name client and, you know, do whatever, put you into some fancy mumbo jumbo, mm. whatever it is. And like the reality is, if I can put my money in the S&P 500, you know, for yeah. four basis points or something like that mm. in Vanguard, that's probably good enough for most athletes. Like yeah. you don't need some fancy wealth manager to do that for you. You can yeah. not, not pay anything. Yeah. You can not pay anything. Yeah. And if you do that, like, Go look at the S&P 500 over the last 100 years. Like, yeah. You'll be all right. You're, all right. You're probably not going broke. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, look, I, like, I just think it's the, uh, it's the complexification, if that's a word, of all of this stuff is like the reality is that making things complex only serves one person, and that's yeah. the person doing it for you because exactly. <laughs> they're yeah. getting paid to make yeah. things complex. Yeah. Most of this stuff is pretty easy, yeah. and it doesn't need to be complex. You don't need all these asset classes. You don't need all these fancy yeah. startup investments. You don't need all this stuff. Mm. Um, you just need to do the boring things well over a long period of time. Yeah, which no one wants to do, right? Yeah, no one wants to do because it it's not cool. It's not sexy. And it's yeah. one thing if you think that you can learn by putting yourself into these different situations. Like I love, you know, Ndamukong Su has become a friend of mine. Yeah, he's a beast. He does a lot of startup yeah. investing. And his whole thing is like, look, every startup investment I'm making, I'm learning. I'm getting mm -hmm. around these people. I'm starting to build what I think my life is going to be after football because I'm spending time with all these smart people that are doing mm -hmm. these different interesting things. Now, that's a different thing to me because – he can lose all that money, but if he learned a ton, if he developed skills along the way from having done it, yeah. then he's going to be okay. He's always going to have something that he's learned and that yeah. he's been around and done. Um, so that's the other piece of it is like, what are you learning? How are you diversifying your identity while you're playing the sport yeah. for whenever it's inevitably done? The reality is that most of these athletes at 30, maybe at 35, if you're extraordinarily lucky yeah. and successful, you're done. I mean, even 30 if you're lucky yeah. sometimes. You know? <laughs> and you have yeah. – 30 years until you conceivably yeah. would be like quote unquote retired and you need to do something. Yeah. You can't just sit around and literally do nothing for 30. You'll go nuts, right? <laughs> like if you have no purpose to wake up in the morning, you yeah. will go nuts. You will lose your mind full stop. Yeah. Like you have to have something because your whole life you've had something, some structure, something mm -hmm. that you were driving towards. If that gets taken away and you have nothing, you will get fat. You will get depressed. Yeah. I mean, it will be really, really bad. Yeah. And so having starting to build while you're in the trenches of being an athlete what that next identity is going to be what are you going to be excited yeah. about what is it that you're going to be working on for some guys it's like i want to become a great golfer like, and yeah. that's fine like it just has to be something that is out there that is driving you that creates purpose for you to wake up yeah you, you post a lot about different frameworks and yeah. things life hacks what's a framework or a life hack or something that that someone that every everyday person should use right now what's the number one I think it's like, even. you know, I have this rule that you never hesitate to make investments in yourself. Um, there's this tendency to basically say like, oh, you know, this thing, you know, this course or this gym membership or this book or all those things like, oh, they're expensive. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to spend $40 on this or $70 on this. My rule always from the time I started my career was if it's an investment in myself, I'm not going to yeah. think twice. I'm just going to go buy it. And if I think that I can get better from it, develop a skill from it, whatever it is, I'm just going to do it because those investments actually pay dividends for forever, for yeah. your entire life. It's the things that are bullshit that you should think twice about, yeah. you know, the, like the watch or the fancy thing that you're just trying to status signal to someone else. That's not paying yeah, off. Just save anyone. money on dinner one time. Yeah. <laughs> like if someone, I mean, my, I spoke to these two kids recently. Um, they're like 19, 20 years old. They're trying to build a business and they paid to get on a call. You know, I had to like to do some consulting calls to this app. They paid to do a call. They get on the call and they say like, hey, we've listened to you on podcasts. We know you don't like doing phone calls. 
So we're actually supposed to be in New York next week for a meeting. Um, and we're happy to do this just in person if you'd prefer that. And I was like, no, that's fine. Let's just do the call. We're, <laughs> we're already on here. And they go, oh, good, because uh, we didn't actually have to be in New York. We were just going to fly out there if you said that <laughs> you would meet be. us in person. Um, and I was like, man, these ki- like you're always going to make it if you yeah. have that mentality. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I actually just recently had this thing where this uh, guy in London who I was really trying to meet for this business opportunity, um, he, he was like, you know, kind of hard to schedule a call with. And so I just texted him and said, Hey, I'm actually going to be in London next week. You want to like get dinner together? And he was like, Oh yeah, sure. Like Tuesday I'm free. Yeah. Are you, are you free? And I was just like, yeah. And then I went online and booked, booked a flight to London the next day. <laughs> and now we're doing this business deal together. That is going to be extremely, extremely lucrative. Yeah. And that to me was like an example of, Oh, you just like, that was an investment in myself. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm actually just going to go over and do this. Cause I have the flexibility to do it. Yeah. Um, so not hesitating about things like that, that can actually pay off over the long run, I think is like the biggest life hack. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. How much was that flight to London? Couldn't uh, have been cheap, but it was yeah, probably it was, worth yeah, it, right? it was, <laughs> I mean, I, I refuse to fly uh, economy now because I've like become a snob about yeah, travel yeah. and I like to feel good when I land. So, I don't know, it's probably 5,000, 6,000 yeah. bucks or something like that. For, but like, you know, if you do the math on it now, like it's going to be in a hundred XR. I mean, it's going to yeah. be like a big, big thing that it pays yeah. off on. So it was worth it. It's always <laughs> worth, it's always worth upgrading a little bit on the flights. I feel like that's You're like a big the guy. Time. You I, definitely need and, it. And it's when I do, you can ask, yeah. ask the team here. That's when I, they'll get more emails from me in a two hour time yeah. span than they would ever. Yeah. It's I think I'm just like flight. being able to show, especially if you're going for a short trip, I was doing a day to yeah. a day there and back to London. I was like, if I'm going to actually get off the plane and be fresh to like go yeah. do this meeting and spend time with this guy, like I actually want to yeah. be good. Yeah. What's uh, what's something that you're curious about right now? Curious about right now? Uh, a lot. Um, I'm pretty curious about AI. Um, not like, hey, show me another thread about chat GPT and how it'll change my life. More so <laughs> the like plug-in, the, the yeah, plugins. Or yeah, extensions. exactly. I just like, I'm so sick of that stuff. I muted all of it on Twitter. Uh, no, more so like, what is the world going to look like when my son is in school? Like that to me is so fascinating to think about. Like, what is he going to do when he grows up? Yeah. Like, what is work going to look like? What's education going to look like? What's college going to look like? Um, because so much has changed in like a year that it's almost impossible for me to even think about what it's going to look like in ten. Yeah. Um, and I tend to think that educa- or that um, technology kind of follows a like. Uh, you overestimate how quickly it'll happen, but then underestimate how far it goes or yeah. something like that. Where like, we assume it's all going to happen in the next year. The reality is it's going to take like 10, mm-hmm. but then it'll be way more crazy than yeah. we ever could have thought. Um, but that kind of stuff I'm really curious about today. Uh, it's just like, I, it's very hard for me to predict the future. I feel like a lot has changed very quickly. You think it'll change content creation? For sure. Massively. In, which is in one of the reasons way? I'm interested. I mean, um, it's just easier and easier to create a baseline level of good content. content. Yeah. Um, the like, you know, commodification, I don't even know if that's a word, uh, of baseline levels of written content in particular has already happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go write like a decent thread uh, on Twitter, or, like a decent blog post or newsletter without doing any work. Sure. You just put it into ChatGPT and do it. And um, there are people doing that. And yeah. so like my, my whole thing has been what stands out in a world of, like when the low end gets commoditized is personality and like yeah. real human connection is what people are going to seek out and want. Um, and so that's why I also like infuse more and more of my own life into mm-hmm. the content that I'm putting out because I think the, like the personal side, the human side, the human element yeah. um, really resonates in a world where yeah. 
people you're buy people surrounded right? by you know chat gpt <laughs> yeah. threads yeah yeah no it's so true that's the one part even with like we talk about it on like television personalities. Yeah. It's something that I, AI just can't replace. Yeah, right? yeah. At least not for now. I mean, maybe yeah. eventually they can they CGI the whole thing. Too. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't. But I don't know. There's yeah. a good Black Mirror episode uh, right now in the new season that's like all about this exact really? stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Yeah, that's good. What um, what's the best ad- advice you've ever received? Oh man, um, this is a tough one. I'd say I'd say the most impactful advice is like related to relationships, which is literally just when you think something nice about someone, let them know mm-hmm. right then. Um, we just hold so much of that in and you know, you end up going your whole life and you go to someone's funeral and you end up saying all these nice things about them. I've been to it. too many funerals where you're like, you're sitting there and you're listening to all these nice things said about someone and you just wish that people had said that to them while they were alive. Yeah. Um, so I've started, I mean, since someone gave me that advice, I've started actually doing it, like yeah. texting random people at a random time, just saying like, Hey, this one thing you did for me this one time was really nice. Mm-hmm. And it creates a positive ripple effect. Like that person then is much more likely to go say a nice thing to someone else. Yeah. And then that person says a nice thing to someone else. And so I really think it's, um, it's a pretty powerful piece of advice because you can actually just start doing it right now. Like, you know, when you, when you think something that someone did is nice, like just let them know, you know, I forget who said it, but like give them their flowers while they can still smell them. Yeah. That's good, man. What uh, last thing I got for you, what, what's the North star? What, what's your goal? Where do you want to be in 20 years? What, how will you define a successful life? Uh, I went through this exercise. I, uh, I sort of imagined what my life, like what my ideal life would be at 80. Mm -hmm. I did it at 80. So it was a little more than 20 years, 50 years. Um, And for me, it was sitting on a porch next to my wife, a bunch of grandkids running around the yard, kids sitting next to us, and like a bunch of friends coming over to eat dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was interesting to me going through the exercise because not much of that is about money. Like there was no private jets. There was no... (laughs) Yachts, you know, like no massive homes, like a nice porch overlooking a yard (laughs) and things like that. Um, The impactful stuff was what it means with regards to the relationships. Like it means that I need to be the type of husband that my wife will want to be around at age 80. It means that I need to be the type of father that my kids will want to sit next to and spend time with when I'm older. It means... You know, I need to be the type of grandfather eventually that my grandkids will want to be running around the yard. It means I need to be the type of friend that my friends are going to want to come and hang out. Yeah. Um, those are the things to me that have to be earned. They can't be bought. Naval has this quote of um, a fit body, a calm mind, and a house full of love. These are things that cannot be bought. They must be earned. And I think about that all the time. It's like I want to chase things that have to be earned, not things that anyone can buy. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, yeah. I appreciate all the yeah. all the wisdom, all the good gems you you gave us yeah. today. It's been been fun watching watching your growth over the yeah. last couple of years, man. I've been 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 a fan and glad to have you on, and, yeah. and hopefully do it again, maybe uh, in the no, future. I hope yeah. so. That's yeah. awesome. It's been fun to watch your trajectory as well. I'm excited appreciate for what's next. It. Thanks, man. I appreciate awesome. it. It's yeah. fun.